0: This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, y'all are going to get a little bit spoiled by this one because we had our first interview ever last week, and I've gotten a lot of great feedback on that, so I really appreciate you guys letting us know how much you enjoyed that episode, but here we are two episodes in a row, and look at it. We're going to do another interview. Now, this interview today is with Zuby. So if you don't know who Zuby is, you've probably been living under a rock for a little bit because this guy has been everywhere. He's been on the Joe Rogan Experience, he's been on the Rubin Report, he's been on the Ben Shapiro Sunday Special, the Adam Carolla Show, the Glenn Beck Show. He's been all over the place. But I'm going to go ahead and read his intro from his website so it'll kind of give you an idea of who he is and all the different things that he touches. So here he is. Zuby is a professional rapper, podcast host, author public speaker, creative entrepreneur, and social media influencer with over 180,000 followers online. He was born in England, raised in Saudi Arabia, and is a graduate of Oxford University. Zuby has sold over 25,000 albums independently, performed in eight countries, and his videos have been watched over 5 million times online. Um, Guys, we go everywhere in this podcast. We really go all over the place. And guys, this guy is such a deep intellectual thinker on so many topics. We only had about an hour that we could spend together just because he's in the United States right now. He didn't have a whole lot of time to sit down and do this episode, so he literally called carved out time just for us, just for you guys, just so that you can hear it. So without further ado, let's get into it. Zuby, welcome to Undaunted Life of Man's podcast, man. How are you doing? I'm very
1: well. Thanks, man. I appreciate it.
0: Well, man, you've been kind of hopping around the United States here for the last couple of weeks. You spent some time in California and some time in Texas and you are in Texas now. So how have you been enjoying yourself in America?
1: I am. I'm uh, recording this from my hotel room in Dallas right now, so I hope the internet holds up well. Um, yeah, it's been great so far, man. I'd never been to California before. I'd never been to Texas before, so it's been um, it's been a, been a fantastic experience. I mean, to come out to the various cities I've been to so far: L.A., San Francisco, Austin, and Dallas, and you know, have such a warm welcome. Um, have people wanting to record podcasts with me, feature on videos, do interviews you know even people just being fans and followers i mean it's kind of crazy being an independent artist from the uk who's you know totally independent and have the opportunity to go on some of the biggest podcasts in the world or be in la and have people on the street recognize me and tell me they they like what i do and stuff like that it's uh it's amazing you know it shows that i'm on the pathway of you know having an impact and influence on lots and lots of people all over the world, which has always been my goal. So to see it coming to fruition slowly, but surely, um, it's, it's amazing. It makes me feel very happy and proud of what I've achieved. It motivates me to continue and yeah, I just feel blessed, man.
0: That's awesome. I mean, that's one thing that whenever I talk to people, I have friends that are overseas and if they've never been to America, especially not like Oklahoma or Texas, because I'm recording this in Oklahoma, they don't understand what like actual hospitality is. They just look at America like, oh my gosh, people are just being shot in the streets. Everyone's eating cheeseburgers. It's like just this nonsense all over the place. And so I like it whenever people come here and have a positive experience, but we need to get into uh, really the main reason why most people know you or came to know you in the first place. And you're probably tired of talking about this, but we're going to (laughs) talk About it the, we're going to talk about it from the top and we're going to get it out of the way and get into some other different subjects. But you're basically a, a world-renowned trans weightlifter because on February 26th of this year, you posted a tweet that's got you know about 65,000 likes, over 17,000 retweets. The video through Twitter has been seen a couple of million times, but we can be assured that the video has been seen way more times than that. But this was the caption for any of the listeners that didn't didn't see the video. It's this. I keep hearing about how biological men don't have any physical strength advantage over women in 2019. So watch me destroy the British women's deadlift record without trying PS. identified as a woman with lifting the weight. Don't be a bigot. Now here's the thing. You probably would have been okay. Had you not done the postscript, right? (laughs) but, But at the same time, at the same time, We may not be talking right now. You may have not ended up on the Joe Rogan experience, but it was that last little part. I identified as a woman with lifting this weight. Don't be a bigot. That is what made you go around the world in in a very short period of time. So if you would just flow a little bit on how all that
1: came to be and kind of how your life changed on
0: February 26th of this year.
1: Oh, good grief. Okay. um, So yeah, so it was kind of what I said there. You know, I'd I'd, uh, continually seen Articles and clips of people who are biologically male either identifying as female, or I guess in some cases, actually being, um, you know, what people would call tra- transgender women um, who've done some of the hormone treatment and stuff like that. And in various sports, I was seeing it in MMA, in athletics, in weightlifting, a whole bunch of different sports. I kept seeing these stories popping up of these people beating women at their own game, essentially. Um, outlifting them, outrunning them, outjumping them, outfighting them—everything—and um, I've always thought that it's ridiculous. I mean, I've seen it over the last couple of years, but it seems to have sort of accelerated and become something that I, I started seeing more and more. So, prior to posting that tweet, I had just seen that somewhere in the U.S. I can't remember what state, but there had been um, a high school athletics competition, and the first and place first and second place competitors in um, this event were both boys, and this is in the girls race. So I saw that and I was like, okay, this stuff is just getting silly. And then out of curiosity, um, I just Googled to see what the British women's deadlift record was. Well, all the powerlifting records were in the 84 kilogram weight class, which if I competed would be the weight class I was in. And I saw that the women's deadlift record was around... 215 kilos um my max is 275 which is uh you know 100 pounds more than the record and i also saw the bench press record was somewhere around 105 and my max is like 147 so in both cases i was like oh wow i can completely obliterate these records like right. not, it's not even close um and so i already had a video the, the video that went viral was already on my phone in fact that video was already on the internet. Um, but it was just part of one of my training sessions that I'd posted to YouTube. And in that video, the one that went viral, I was doing 230 kilos, which was, you know, more than the record. So I just posted that tweet a little bit tongue in cheek, uh, uh, as I post a lot of stuff, I I, I do a lot of tweets. I put a lot of content out there. I didn't sort of sit down and, and strategize that this would be the one that would put me, put me on the map internationally. Um, so I just, I just tweeted it out there and very quickly. I realized that I had uh, touched on some nerves. Uh, the video got about 10,000 views in the first, I want to say the first 15 minutes or so. Um, and it just started getting retweeted all over the world, it started getting retweeted by some very, very prominent people, um, people with millions and millions of followers in various different countries. And, it just took on its own life by the time i went to bed it had 300, 300 views i woke up in the morning it was over half a million and that thing just kept going and going and my follower count just kept going up and up and up um and so as that one was going viral i decided to post a video of me breaking the bench press record as well i think that video got about half a million views as well so i did that i broke the record i did three reps and um yeah, it, uh. Did you really
0: have, did you really have to do those last two reps? I mean, come on. You're just kind of showing off. Like, you already broke the record. You already broke the record with the first one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to sort of show the, show the differential, I guess. Um, cause the whole thing's absurd.
0: Well, you, you, you kind of pointed this out and you've said it in some different interviews. And the thing that I feel that is most important when talking about this issue is the people that seem to be on the cutting edge or the forefront of this issue are being very disingenuous. And the reason is, is because they're they're typically these these trans athletes right the so-called trans athletes are competing in sports like track and field or weightlifting or something like that but but whenever you get into other areas of sport they don't seem to be be saying things in the exact same manner so an example would be this so in the united states obviously basketball is a big deal it's big all over the world but let's let's just take collegiate athletics right so on most of these college campuses you have a lot of people that are uh, lgbtq plus you know activists and those types of things then why aren't they advocating that they get rid of women's and men's basketball and just have basketball. Mm-hmm. Like, if there is no biological difference, if there's no performance difference between them, why don't we just have one division and the best players can play? And that—that's kind of one of those things where I feel like it's—it's it's a little bit disingenuous when people are outraged at a video like the video that you posted <laughs> because they're not advocating for someone like Amanda Nunes to fight in the 135 or the 145 pound men's division in the UFC. Be- because not. that that would be something ridiculous. But, yeah, I mean, you kind of get what I'm saying?
1: Of course I do. Well, that's because it's ideologically driven. It's not driven by fairness and kindness and compassion, as they're claiming to. Or if it is, they're extremely deluded. It's mainly, you know, it's, it's driven by this ideology, which is you must, you know, suspend objective reality and biological reality. And you must just go along with what we're saying. If we're saying this person is a woman or that person is saying they're a woman, then you must accept them as a woman. I mean, that's why the part of why it went so viral, because it was a it was a checkmate right? Because anyone who is saying that can't criticize my video. Okay, I'd said that I identified as a woman. So if you then say that, hey, you're not a real woman, then by your own logic, you are being transphobic and bigoted. So there was nothing anybody could say. There was literally out of the thousands, millions of responses that thing got, there was not a single um, coherent argument as to why what I did was was offensive or wrong or anything. It was like people were just trying to say stuff, but none of them, none of them had any coherent argument and they couldn't because it was it was just a total checkmate right
0: yeah i mean you're absolutely right uh with with the checkmate on that but also at the same time you've probably heard this about people on the political left the reason why they they try to shout people down and try to cancel people is because they don't have new ideas and their quote unquote new ideas kind of suck and so it's kind of one of those things where if you can't argue it logically and calmly then it's probably not a good argument they they don't really ascribe to that belief
1: system though no they don't but you know i'm not someone who um you know i've i've i've, I've been, I've been dealing with this stuff for for a long time not this thing specifically but i know i mean the reason i was even able to make that tweet is because i'm so familiar with their own arguments and logic so i can just totally use it against them like i just turned it completely on on its head and you know there it just because i mean if you if you go through the thread there there's a whole bunch of other of other tweets and comments in there, which are, again, it's just me applying the same logic to anyone who's dissenting and saying, well, you know, you, if you call me transphobic, then that makes you transphobic. Exactly. I mean, firstly, I'm not, I'm not not transphobic. That wasn't the, um, you know, the funny thing with this tweet is that there are a lot of the majority of actually trans people who I'm aware of who responded to it or who DM'd me or whatever. The vast majority was positive. Most of them thought it was funny because you know, the activists don't represent them in a lot of cases. This goes with right. any, this goes with any, any group, any minority group, any, any sort of, you know, you've got people who claim to be activists who claim to represent a certain group, but oftentimes they don't, right? There's nobody who speaks on behalf of all women. There's nobody who speaks on behalf of all gay people or trans people. I don't even know why those things are lumped together to begin with. They're totally different. Um, but, you know, you've got these advocates and those advocates are not representative. As far as I'm aware, with, you know, trans people I've actually met or know to some degree, typically they just kind of want to get on with their life. And, you know, maybe they feel they were born in the wrong body and they want to be treated as the opposite, um, gender to, you know, their biological sex and whatnot. And oftentimes they've made some, you know, gone through some process to, make them look and act like that case anyway. And I don't think most people are really, you know, whether or not people think it's positive or negative or neutral or agree or disagree or whatever. Most, I think most people are of the belief it's like, okay, well, if you're an adult, then if that's what you want to do, okay, that doesn't change biological reality. That doesn't change objective reality, but most people don't want to go out of their way and just be mean or cruel to people for no reason. Um, including myself. So yeah, the, the activist arm of the activist arm of that thing, I really do not think is representative In fact, I actually, I, I would actually say they're doing them a massive disservice because I think they're, they're probably, you know, cause people will see that and then people will assume, you know, not everyone has the, the level of nuance that I do, right. A lot of people will see that and just be like, Oh my gosh, all of these, all of these people are crazy. Is this what they're, This is what they're trying to do. You know, they'll go and they'll see the thing in uh, Canada of that person going around trying to get their testicles waxed in all these places. They'll see this stuff happening in sports and they'll just be like, what on earth is this? Right. And I think that's actually, you know, very hypocritically, I think that's so maybe ironically is a better word. I think that's actually doing a disservice to the people who just kind of want to get on with their life and not be bothered and maybe be called he instead of she or vice versa.
0: Well, and Zuby, I mean, I don't know that there's anything more annoying than someone being offended for someone else, because that's the thing about offenses. It's like that's offensive towards a person, right? Whether you meant it to be offensive or not, it's the individual person that's taking offense. But I really like your perspective on this, and, and you shared a lot about this on other podcasts. And like I said, you pretty much have to start there with Zuby, but there is a whole lot more to Zuby, and we're <laughs> going to get into a lot of that now. But but one of the interesting things about this tweet is it got you from from where you were uh, early this year to being on the biggest show, pretty much in all of podcasting or all of radio, and that was the Joe Rogan experience? And so you did an interview with him a few weeks ago. Um, that that video on YouTube right now is about three quarter of a million of uh, views at this point, there is no telling how many listens or downloads that talk has had. Um, so the thing about that, though, is uh, pretty much everyone that listens to this podcast listens to the Joe Rogan experience. But there's always this little bit of like, OK, you don't know who's coming up because he doesn't like post his schedule out there of who's coming on the show. There's a little bit of mystique uh, about the show. But I want you to kind of take our listeners through the process of getting on the Joe Rogan experience. Like, did he call you? Did someone else send you an email? Did you have to go through like a secret underground entrance to get to this place <laughs> so you're not getting mobbed? Did you hang out with him beforehand? Did you work out with him after? Just just take us through your Joe Rogan experience.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so when the video, so about two weeks after I posted the video, um, I woke up one morning and I had a bunch of people saying, yo, yo, like Joe Rogan just shouted you out on his show. I noticed I'd had another spike in followers, especially on Instagram. And I had a bunch of messages just from people saying, yo, Joe Rogan just mentioned you on the show. He just mentioned you on the show. And I was like, oh, whoa, what's up? So I checked it out. It was, uh, one of the episodes he'd recorded with his friend, Brian Callan. And, um, I, fa- I finally found the the section where they talked about it. And so they actually pulled up the video and read out the tweet. They spent, a, they spent about a minute and a half on it. And, um, Joe shouted me out on the show and he followed me on Twitter on the show and sort of announced that he was following me on Twitter. So, um, I, I was, so firstly I was hype. I was like, yo, this is, this is crazy. This is nuts. Uh, just sort of seeing that segment, it was a very funny segment too. So I just kind of took a video clip for it and from it and was kind of reposting that on my own socials. And, um, yeah, Joe had, Joe actually DM'd me on Twitter. So he just sent me a DM kind of you know, saying he he liked the video and thought it was funny and was making a good point and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, we had a little, little back and forth on the DMS on Twitter and then, um, yeah, a few months later. So, you know, he's, he's been following me since March now or so. And so, you know, a few months later I was, um, I'm trying to think of what, what order it came around in. I think I was, um, I was chatting with my friend, Dave Rubin about possibly appearing on his show. And uh, he invited me on to doing his show, the Rubin report. I think that's the one that came first. So I was like, okay, I'm in the UK at this point, but I was like, okay, well, I'm going to be going to LA to do that. So if I'm going to be going to LA, I'm aware that, you know, that's also where that's around where Joe is. There's a whole bunch of other podcasts that are happening there. So if I'm going to go to LA, let me, uh, let me, let me make the most of it. So I just DM Joe and said, yo, I'm, I'm thinking of, a uh, coming to LA for the first time this year, you know, if, it would be an honor to feature on your podcast if you're open to it. And he just said like, heck yeah, when are you here? Um, and it was, it was that simple from there. It was just locking down a date and uh, sorting out the logistics and, uh, it happened from there. And then, uh, all lots of the other podcasts I did, um, including Adam Carolla, the Ben Shapiro show, um, man, I, I'm trying to actually remember, remember them all. Like it dominoes just kind of started falling. You know, once, once it was like, okay, cool. I'm going to be in LA during these dates. I just had a bunch of people reaching out to me, extending offers. Um, cause I'm, I'm followed by a, a lot of, you know, followed by a lot of prominent people on Twitter. Um, and lots of the ones who even don't follow me sort of, I'm, I'm on their radar. So. And I've got a very, very active following. So people started, you know, adding people saying, oh, you guys need to get Zuby on your show. You guys need to get Zuby on your show. And a lot of stuff just happened organically. Um, I reached out to a couple of people. Lots of people reached out to me and the sort of list of podcasts scheduled just just kept on growing. And that's what's been happening even while I've been in the US, um, you know, with all these different cities, lots of people are like, oh, what's your plan for this city? What's your plan for that city? And normally I'll just have one or two things planned. And then once I get there, more things will arise. Um here in Dallas, I've just recorded five interviews with Blaze TV. I was on Glenn Beck's show yesterday. I did a Graham Allen's show, um, Sarah Gonzalez's show. So lots of stuff is just, uh, it's just kind of dominoes falling, you know, lots of people want to talk to me and, sh- you know, want me to, sh- to share my, my perspective. Some of those are huge podcasts. Some of them are smaller ones. And I'm at that stage where it's just like, cool, you know, if it'll, if it'll help me get my message out there and it's someone who's doing something interesting then let, let's talk let's see uh let's get the let's get the word out there
0: that's awesome so whenever you arrived at the studio because i know sometimes he'll do episodes back to back with different people were you just basically chilling in the green room they brought you out you know two three minutes before uh your interview and then they said all right thanks a lot and then sent you on your way right after it oh, was no, done no, kind no, of, what no, was it no, like no. once you got there
1: no 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 so i was there about an hour before joe got there so he messaged me saying he was running a bit late so i was there um with one of my friends and um, just a couple of the guys who who work at the studio. So I was just chilling. We were just chilling, waiting for Joe, checking out the stuff. It's a really cool facility. I can't, you know, uh, t- say too much about it because I know they like their privacy. But um, it was a really, really cool studio. Um, and so, yeah, we waited for Joe. Joe came. We had a little chat. Um, and then we just went in the studio, you know, boom, set a record. I obviously met uh, Jamie and everyone like that. And, uh, yeah, we just, we just recorded it. And then actually when I came out, um, Neil deGrasse Tyson was, uh, was in the green room and he'd been, he'd been listening in on the conversation I was having with Joe live. So, uh, he came out and, you know, he complimented me, said, I'm a very intelligent young man who would be hard to follow up with. Um, that's a a good
0: compliment for for a super wizard.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So, and then you know, I was with, uh, I was with Neil and Joe and the other guys there and we were, we were just chatting for about 20 minutes. It wasn't like a rushed thing. Um, we were just hanging out, having, having a talk. I gave, uh, I gave Joe a copy of my book on air. I gave Neil a copy of my book and signed it for him. Um, you know, he said, maybe we'll connect when I'm in New York, if, if our schedules line up. So it it was just great. You know, it was really, it was really relaxed. Um, Joe, Joe's just, you know, he's, he's like, he is on the show. He's just, uh, He's a guy who's doing amazing stuff, but he's still very much a, a, a normal guy, you know, and there's no, there's no front, there's no, there's no fakeness, anything like that. And I think I'm the same, I, I believe I'm the same kind of person. So, you know, we, nat- we naturally uh, just kind of clicked and yeah, everything was cool, but it was a, uh, it was a little bit of a surreal experience just uh, as a watcher and listener to the show to kind of be like, oh, wow, I'm actually, uh, I'm in this room right now. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah. You know, that was, that was a little bit surreal, but, um but it was cool. You know, the, the whole time in LA was just, was just a blur. I just did so much, met so many great people, did so much cool stuff in a relatively short amount of time. Um, Yeah. You know, like I said, this trip has really been, um, it's really been a blessing, you know, I'm just trying to make the most of it and have fun in the process.
0: Yeah. I mean, it'll probably take a little while to decompress, to really understand just the totality of what you were able to do in such a short period of time. But I got to be honest for me, I was really, really excited. Whenever I figured out, I think it was that you tweeted it or you put something on Instagram that you were going to be on that show. I was like, yes, this is (laughs) going to be freaking awesome. But it's interesting because I remember Neil deGrasse Tyson came on after you. There was a video that came out on YouTube uh, like pretty much a day after his interview with Neil and it was Neil deGrasse Tyson kept interrupting Joe Rogan and Joe would like roll his eyes and kind of be like, dude, all right, like I I was in the middle of saying something. But while I was listening to your interview with Joe, and this might just be something that I noticed. I was a little disappointed in how many times he cut you off and how much time he spent talking. And, and I mean, y'all talked for several hours, but one thing for me is I was just like, dude, I, I, I was like getting visibly upset. I was like, dude, Joe, like, shut up. I want to hear what Zuby has to <laughs> say about this. I mean, did you feel like it, it didn't flow or am I, am I out in left field when I think of that?
1: Uh, man, I mean, uh, people I've, I've heard a few people say that people have, you know, said different things. Some people have said that it was, you know, I don't know. I I think the I think it, it took a little while for it to kind of get get going. Um, I think the second I feel like the second half of it was more a lot more interesting than the first half, just because it was very a little bit random and meandering. But as someone who listens to the show, I know that's what. That's what yeah that's so how it goes yeah 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 so I don't know you know I hope people who heard about me for the first time through that got managed to get a decent idea and impression of who I am and what I do I would have liked to have spent a little bit more time kind of talking on that but obviously you know with it being uh you know without just being Joe's show and not knowing how you know with, with some with some podcasts and interviews I've got a pretty good interview I'm uh, sorry I've got a pretty good ability. kind of steer the conversation in the way that I, uh, the way that I specifically want it to go. But on that one, I was very much like, okay, you know, this is just loose. Let me, uh, I don't know the, I don't know the the process. I don't want to, you know, try to steer the conversation too hard if there are certain things that they want to cover and whatnot. So, um, yeah, you know, I was happy to just kind of be, be along for the ride. If you, if you get what I mean.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I I think it was pretty clear that Joe liked you. I mean, even later he was kind of, he was giving you a little bit of crap for wearing uh, your own shirt and hat on the show. But even on a later podcast, he's like, yeah, I probably would have given him more crap for it, but I really liked the guy. And you could tell that he liked you and that he respected you and those types of things. But at the end of the day, Joe Rogan's trying to run a show. He's got sponsors. If he feels like he needs to steer something one way or the other, that's, that's kind of his prerogative. Now, one thing, one thing on that podcast and, and I've noticed from a lot of your interviews, I know on the Ben Shapiro Sunday special, this was kind of, you know, behind the paywall type of thing. I don't feel like you've gotten a lot of runway to talk about your belief system as a Christian. And I know you, you spent about two, two and a half minutes with Joe kind of talking very 30,000 foot view about his his beliefs, not really his beliefs, but your beliefs through his context as somebody that has kind of softened his stance on people that have uh, have a faith of some kind over the years. But that's not really something that I've, I've seen with with the Rubin Report or even the Adam Carolla show in your interviews where you get to have that runway to say, hey, this is why I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. This is my story. This is kind of how it goes. But I mean, this is a mainly Christian audience here on Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. So I'm going to give you kind of some space and you don't have to go into a full on testimony and there doesn't need to be tears and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, I'd like to get an idea for someone like you that is so intellectually sound and so smart. Like, so for you, why are you a follower of Jesus Christ and how did that come about?
1: Sure. Well, in terms of how it came about, I mean, I come from a Christian family. My parents are Christian. All of my wider family's Christian. I was, I was raised as a Christian. Um I'm someone who is, you know, I, I have my, I have my religious beliefs. I have my faith. I try to live my life a certain way. I'm also someone who is, um, I'm also someone who is honest and reflective enough to understand that the fact that I'm a Christian is partially due to chance. You know, had I grown up in, a in Saudi Arabia and been raised by a Muslim family, there's a good chance I would have been a Muslim had I been raised by, a parents who are very, very atheistic, then there's a good chance, not a hundred percent, but there's a good chance that, you know, I would have, uh, kind of taken that on board. So I do, I do recognize that, you know, that for any person of faith of any, any religion, there's a factor that is kind of like, okay, well, what family, what's your family background? What's your parental background? How were you raised? So I understand that there's that, there's that element. Um, so for myself, that's, um, I think that's the, the story for a lot of people. I think most people are kind of just raised a certain way, but then I also think it's fairly normal and commonplace for people once they reach certainly teenage age or become young adults to sort of, I think, I think that's the stage where people really either kind of confirm their own religion or in some cases, stray away from it shall we say you know when people obviously have external more external influences and are more mature and able to think for themselves and come up with their own ideas and question things and challenge things and everything like that so you know like i think um and and i think that's i think that's a good thing i don't think it's good to um follow anything or believe anything blindly i don't think that really um You know, I I don't I don't think an intellectual person can really can really do that. You know, I think anyone who's a a Christian or a Muslim or a Jew or Hindu, any 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 religion, surely at some point, someone thinks, okay, well, let me uh, let me look at this a little bit more, especially when you're talking to people who have other faiths or no faith or whatever the case may be. So um, I certainly I certainly went went through that stage. I never fell away from the religion at all. Um, I've always been pretty, you know, I've always been, been sort of solid in my, in my faith and in my beliefs. I would say that in the last 10 years, I've probably, maybe even in the last five years, I've started to appreciate religion in general and Christianity specifically. I've come to actually appreciate their and understand their role in the world more. Um, I think as the world, cause, as the, as the modern Western world deals with its own challenges and strays away from certain ideas and values and faith and belief, I'm now firsthand starting to really see some of the negative impacts of that. And the fact that people seem to be kind of, you know, a lot of people are sort of navigating the world without a without a compass where, where, where we are right now. And you see that manifest in all sorts of different ways, both on an individual level and on a collective level. So that for me has kind of reaffirmed just how important having faith and belief is in terms of why I believe what I believe, in terms of belief in God. Um, you know, say if I weren't speaking to somebody who's um who's an, an atheist or uh perhaps even agnostic or who's just questioning, okay, why would a why would a smart oxford educated person believe in god when we have when we have science and all that right firstly i'm not someone firstly i'm not somebody who thinks that um religion and science are you know sort of opposed to each other i don't think it's like oh well they're science so get rid of religion i'm not someone who i think that's a how to put it i just think that's a very uh immature view of religion and its importance and why people actually Believe it's not just a matter of like okay, well, they're science, so science is the answer to everything, and that science can answer all the questions. I think religion and you know religion or and or some kind of philosophy helps to you know at the end of the day, we all want to understand. Even if you believe just purely in science, you know the most atheistic science believer still wants to know okay, well, what's the what's my purpose in life? How should I behave? How should I treat other people? what is right what is wrong why am i on this giant spinning rock that's circling a giant fireball you know even if that's all someone believes those people are still naturally inclined to seek meaning and purpose and answers for deeper philosophical existential questions and i think that's always been um i think that's what what humanity has has always done so in term i mean in terms of my, my belief in god I would say that the the reason for that would just be on a on a sort of rational level it would be the sort of infinite regression idea of okay say I say I say okay if if I'm talking to someone who's who's just an atheist and we're talking about the origin of the world and the universe and people and everything everything that exists everything that we can see um there's always that infinite regression thing which doesn't really make sense to me so in terms of exactly what god is you know of course there's a there's a christian representation of god which i is the way i understand and believe in but um i think even trying to define exactly what god is is something that's difficult this is something that i know uh jordan peterson talks about a lot you know as in he, he doesn't really like to say whether or not he believes in God because he doesn't even think you can, <laughs> the human brain can sort of fathom what, what, what God is. Right, but in terms right. of there being um, some kind of force or I, I don't even know, something something out there that sparks everything and is the reason for everything, that's sort of, in an abstract way, I guess that's what I consider God to to be. Um, some people would call it infinite intelligence. Some people would call it the universe. Even even atheists will sort of oftentimes use some kind of term that, oh, as far as I'm concerned, is almost like a, a just a, a different abstraction of what a lot of people conceive God to be. Every religion has different ideas. You know, you've got um, religions that have multiple gods or, you know, have just one God that that covers all... It's a, it's a very complicated thing, especially if you're talking outside of the frame of just a single religion and you're talking about all the different things that right. various billions of people all over the world believe. The way I understand it and uh, the way I've always thought about it actually since I was fairly young was sort of different abstractions of the same idea. If that, if that makes sense. So you know, again, as, as human beings, we're, we're all seeking meaning and trying to understand what, what is going on and how everything works. And, um, you know, there will always be questions that, that science cannot answer, but more importantly, in terms of providing a, a structure and a guideline and giving people a compass, I really think that's where the sort of, um, shall we say, practical value of religion really, really comes into play. And that's something that I feel is becoming more obviously important as time goes on and things continue to change.
0: When you brought up a lot of good things there, Zubi, but one of the big things is Obviously, being an Oxford-educated person, even if you you know you don't have Oxford on your resume, you're obviously a smart person. This idea that Christianity is just all about faith—that the thing about the word faith is people misunderstand the word faith. They think faith is just blind, right? I just believe this because someone told me to. No, faith is trust. Like we have faith in gravity, right? So we know that if we jump off of the ground, that we're not going to keep going. We have faith that we're going to return back to the ground at some point. For other people, they return to the ground a lot faster than some people, but you know, we're going to get back to the ground at the same time. But the other thing about it is, and this is something that Ravi Zacharias points out a lot. I would love to see him on the Joe Rogan experience, but it's all every worldview has to be put through the the structures of origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. Origin, where where did we come from? Meaning, why are we here? Morality, how can we tell the difference between good and bad? And destiny, where do we go when we die? And so uh, I think that the the Christian worldview, when you put it through those strictures, it gives you the best answers for those types of things. Uh, But I really appreciate you kind of giving the listeners a little bit of an idea of kind of where you come from, because I know you haven't been able to do that a lot on other podcasts. But another subject matter that you don't really get to talk about a lot, seemingly, is a huge part of who you are. And that's the fact that you're a rapper. (laughs) <laughs> that you you've done rap, you've done rap, and you've done hip hop for well over a decade, and you even posted this on Twitter. Uh, I think is yesterday or the day before that. You're just like, I'm starting to figure out that most people know me from all the like the Twitter and and all the other social stuff. They don't know that I'm an actual rapper. And here's the funny thing about it for me: I started following you on Twitter just because i really liked some of the things that you were saying and you kept being retweeted by you know conservative people with a with a blue check mark i didn't even put it together that you were the guy that that broke the deadlift record or that you know did the did the whole video it, it took me several weeks to figure out that y'all were the same person which Basically makes me an idiot, but at the same time, a lot of, a lot of your followers don't really know about that, but you are an independent rapper. You've sold a lot of albums. You've got stuff out there on Spotify, on, on Apple music, and, and people can buy stuff off your, uh, your website, but you released a new album this year, uh, called perseverance.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But the thing about it that I kind of feel the need to ask everyone that's an independent rapper is, would you ever sign with a label?
1: Um, I don't want to say I would not sign a typical record deal where they're kind of taking 92% and giving me eight and tying me up and trying to have creative and business control over everything I'm doing. I mean, the, the honest answer is it depends, you know, if, uh, someone wanted to basically let me continue doing what I'm doing and maintain my creative control and the business and the numbers and everything like that checked out. And they just wanted to sort of put a little bit of rocket fuel and marketing ability and network and programming and all that stuff to help the rocket ship go up, then, you know, I'd be, I'd be silly to not be open to at least considering that. Um, but the truth is, the more you know about the music business and the way traditional record deals work, the, e- much easy, the easier it is to understand why a lot of artists choose to or want to stay independent or even why a lot of people who do get signed eventually later down the line do go independent or try to get out of their deals. And it's because they're typically not structured very well in favor of the artist. This goes back to the, the probably the sixties or, or the seventies, if, if not earlier, the record deals have always been structured to massively favor the record label at the expense of the artist and a whole bunch of different ways you can read entire books on the subject. So, um, yeah. So that's a long-winded answer, but the answer is it depends. If it's just the usual thing, then I'm not interested and never really have been, which is why I've been independent for as long as I have. Um, but yeah, if it's uh, something non-traditional and something very forward thinking and that puts me at the center and it's with people who genuinely want the best for me and want to help me reach new echelons, then you know I'm open to the idea.
0: So the cool thing about you know, listening to your music and also following you for the length of time that I have is that you can kind of pick up on different nuances in, in your music. But there's one specific thing that I think you could give a lot of insight to. So there's this difference, seemingly, there's this dichotomy to use Jocka Willing's favorite word between Christian rap and Christians that rap, right? Mm-hmm. So growing up in the church, you would go to the Christian bookstore and there would be Christian rap, which is essentially horrible rap like it was just some of the worst <laughs> music that you could possibly imagine but it was christian right they talked about mm-hmm. jesus and all those types of things but then you've got kind of like you know we'll call it like kind of the one one six click group you know that's that's andy Minio and lecrae and those types oh, yeah, of guys yeah. yeah those are christians that rap and so when you call them a christian rapper they kind of buck that a little bit which makes christians nervous they're like oh my gosh we thought lecrae was our dude and now he's not our dude anymore because he said he didn't want to be called a christian rapper yeah. so so for you You're obviously a Christian that raps. I don't think we could categorize your music as Christian rap, Mm -hmm. but is the reason that that you are a Christian that raps, uh, is that why you rap clean? I mean, what do you think about the dichotomy between quote unquote Christian rap and Christians that rap?
1: Sure. So I can't speak for everybody, but I'd imagine that some of those artists would have a similar view to me. And there, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of factors to it. Um, the first one is not wanting to box yourself in and ascribe yourself to a certain label, right? If I say that I make Christian rap, or specifically that I'm a Christian rapper, that has a couple of effects. The first one is that people who are not Christians will likely be turned off to it, okay? Just like if someone um, explicitly called themselves uh, a Muslim rapper, I might be like, oh, I'm not a Muslim, so that's not for me. So you don't right. even you don't even give it a shot. You kind of just glance over it and go, oh no, that's not for me. Um whereas if it's just someone who's a rapper and it's like, okay, I like a rap, I like rap, I like this guy's music, and then they happen to, you know, they happen to be a Muslim, then it's like, oh okay, you know, you've you you've you've gotten past the first the verse hurdle. You see what I mean? You haven't automatically, we, we like to categorize things extremely quickly and think, is that for me or is that not for me? And yeah, if you're trying to primarily just target Christians, then it might make sense almost from a marketing perspective, which sounds a little bit trite, but that's what it is. It, it makes sense to sort of label yourself that way. And then you've naturally filtered yourself towards that audience. Also from a creative perspective, it, li- it's limiting. Okay, if I again, if I said that I make Christian rap, then I would feel that every single song I need to mention God, I need to mention Jesus, I need to make sure it has a gospel type message. And I'm happy to do that for some songs here and there, you know, I'd actually quite like to make I haven't yet made a song that's sort of like, a, I guess what you could call a a gospel song. But um, it's something that I'm certainly open to the idea to, but I wouldn't want that to be the only thing that I'm allowed to make. And if I stepped out of that box, then as you were sort of alluding to earlier, then my audience who by this case would be almost totally Christian may, you know, criticize me or get angry or be frustrated because not every single one of my songs is explicitly um, Christian or gospel. And just from a creative perspective as an artist, you know, I'm, I'm a multifaceted human being. Yes, I am a Christian but it's not, it's not all that I am. Um, you know, not all of my thoughts are Christian. I'm a man, I'm a mortal, right? You know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm honest, I'm authentic, right? I I think, uh, I think good thoughts like everybody else. I think, I think bad thoughts like everybody else. I have positive and negative experiences. There's things that I see in the world that are positive and negative. Not everything is, uh, you know, not everything is happy. Not everything in the world is Christian. Not everything in the world is is positive and whatever. So, I like to have the freedom to rap and talk about whatever I want, really, without having to feel like I'm totally boxed into one thing and I'm totally at the mercy of my own fan base or my own audience. So that, plus the um, ability, plus the way other people would kind of view it, I've just never felt the need to. If someone asks me, you know, what, are you a man of faith or what do you believe? I'm happy to say I'm a Christian. I'll, I'll never, ever hide that. It's not something I hide. And I think anyone who listens to a good amount of my music would probably, you know, I think there's, an, there's enough hints in there or even enough obvious statements that makes that clear. Um, but I don't think it's necessary to, I, I think it's counterproductive to kind of you know, force it. And I think you also end up in that situation where you're kind of preaching to the choir, um, which even if you are trying to get the word out there, it's a little bit self-defeating because you're, you're switching off to people who aren't already of that faith or open to, or just open to it, you know? And I think, you know, even beyond the, um, beyond the religious aspect, my overall message is one of, positivity and inspiration. I'm not trying to, I'm not really trying to evangelize. I'm not trying to convert people. That's not my, that's not my goal. If it were, if it were, maybe my approach would be very different, but regardless of someone's faith or lack of faith or religion or no religion or whatever, I'd like to think anybody from any of those walks of life would be able to listen to some of my songs and get something positive out of it. Um, hopefully you know, certainly entertainment, but hopefully a deeper message that will help to uplift them or make their life better in some way too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And there's a whole lot more we could go into there. Uh, but you know, we got limited time and we got a few other uh, areas that I'd like to touch on, but there is one thing that I want you to answer for me, for me very quickly. And I feel like you're the only one qualified to actually help me with this. I, I've heard you mention Jay Z a few times. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I grew up in a community that listened to a lot of hip hop and rap. And I just got to tell you, I've never thought that Jay-Z was that good of a rapper. Oh, I thought he he had, he had some big hits and, you know, rock aware and he owns part of the nets and like, dude, he's, he's big time. I get it. Mm-hmm. But it's just like, I, it never made sense to me that Jay-Z was this really, really good rapper, like on oh, the level of a Nas or an Eminem or something like that. Oh, so easily. in in a very quick thing, tell me, convince me that Jay-Z is a good rapper. Really convince me.
1: Okay. To start with, do you know that Jay-Z does not write his lyrics down?
0: Correct. I did know that.
1: Okay. Um, have you ever tried doing... Have you ever tried going <laughs> up with a <laughs> cohesive rap no, without writing anything down? No. That, that, no, that's, I have not. Even a, yeah, even if he did write, but that that's just... Uh, that in itself is a level of of the genius. But the thing with Jay-Z is I think because he's had so many hits, I think people... A lot of my favorite Jay-Z songs are not the massively well-known hits, so okay, I'll I'll do I'll I'll explain. So in terms of technical ability, I think he's simply one of the greatest rappers of all time. He can whether he's rapping fast, rapping slow, doing something deep, something for the club, something to party to, telling a story, he can do all of it. Um, Eminem and Nas actually cannot. Jay Z is more of a versatile than both of them. Eminem doesn't make songs for the club. Eminem doesn't make songs that you'll you'll hear in a nightclub and people really party to. Jay Z can do that. But then he can also make a really, really deep song. He can also um, tell a story. He can also make a dope, braggadocious. He he can rap about anything and everything, and he can he's he's just extremely versatile. Um, in terms of his technical rapping ability, yeah, I think he's phenomenal. Just any flow, vocab, just um, ability to to ride the beat, delivery, everything like that. I just think he's he's one of the greatest. And then, in terms of consistency with albums, again, even if you're comparing him to a Nas or an Eminem, Jay Z's catalog is better than both of those artists, as far as I'm concerned. Um, Nas and Eminem both have some great albums, uh, but the the hit the hit versus miss ratio, as far as I'm concerned, and other people generally think this too, is you know Jay Z's got a higher batting average, shall we say? So, for all of those reasons, I mean, it, you know hip hop taste or music taste is always going to be subjective. I know people who, who think Eminem is terrible and I'm like, what are you talking about? He's brilliant. Right. (laughs) Right. So, you know, there's always going to be the subjective aspect of it, but objectively, you know, if you're going to sort of rate the music and the consistency and the albums, and then their rapping ability itself, um, I certainly think he's up there with the, with the best, um, all the stuff he's done outside of it in terms of business and hustle and being, independent minded and entrepreneurial all that stuff massively inspires me too but um even aside from that um you know i just think he's i think he's undoubtedly one of the greatest of all time so that's why i'm a that's why i'd always put jay-z in my top two
0: Okay. So a couple of things on that. Number one, I really appreciate that you've only been in America for a couple of weeks and you used a baseball reference. So thank you for referring (laughs) to batting average. So good on you. And number two, I guess we can continue this, this fight offline. So I don't think anybody else needs us uh, to be sit here and argue, but I'm I'm sure we can find some, some ways to do that. So uh, shifting gears just a little bit. One thing that you've talked about. A lot in a lot of different types of contexts is this idea of intersectionality, mm. and so uh, for for those uh, that are listening that are maybe not familiar with that word, that's basically who you are. Uh, you know, basically equates to the amount of oppression that you have. So if you are a trans black female. Uh, then you you are higher on the intersectionality scale in terms of the amount of oppression that you've felt. But the big thing about you that you've talked about is you've talked a lot about the victim mentality mm. um, and what happens to somebody when they accept the victim mentality that, you know what, I am lesser than, or you know what, I do need reparations, or you know what, that person is putting me down, even though they are nameless and faceless to me. So talk to me a little bit about where you got your viewpoint on the victim mentality, because for those of you that don't know, you are a black male. And so you have all of the, you know, victim points and all the intersectionality points and you were, you were trans for about five seconds there. And so also you've got that intersectionality point that that you can move on from, but you know, kind of walk us through why you don't uh, ascribe to the same belief system as a lot of people that, you know, might look like you.
1: Oh, wow. That's a, that's a heavy question because I am not a victim. <laughs> I don't have a victim mentality because I'm not a victim. I'm, I'm undoubtedly, I'm undoubtedly privileged and blessed and have tons of advantages. We all do. Anyone who's listening to the, this podcast, anyone who even has the ability to, um, you know, if you live in the modern Western world in 2019, you are privileged. You're more privileged than the vast majority of people in the world. Period it doesn't matter your, your skin color, your sexuality, your gender, whatever. Like, um, we are all extremely privileged coming down to trying to work out who's more privileged than another. I mean, who cares? You can't, you can't measure it. Um, what is, what does privilege even mean? Who's defining the terms? Why is it always gender race and, uh, sexuality? Why isn't it height? Why isn't it, um, IQ? why isn't it socioeconomic status i'd say those three things could have a you know why isn't it how good looking people are those things are arguably considerably more important than all of the aforementioned so the the thing with intersectionality is so as far as i'm aware from a, a so soci- from a sociology perspective it's supposed to be um I, you know i don't think it has to do with victimhood directly that's sort of how it's been co-opted i believe that the original idea was that look, people's varying um, factors and traits change the way that they experience the world. So sure, um, if you're black versus if you're white, you may have a different life experience, shall we say. But then if you're a black woman, you'll have a different life experience to a black male. If you're a black straight woman, you'll have a different life experience to a black lesbian woman and so on and so forth. And lo and behold, if you take this thing to its natural conclusion, what you end up with is that everybody is an individual and everybody has a unique experience and life view and perspective. And so the conclusion of intersectionality is actually what simply what the starting point is for anybody who is sane and reasonable and just understands basic life, right? Everybody is different. Everybody, no two people have the exact same views or experiences or abilities or talents. Everyone has different advantages and disadvantages and whatever so we already and and everything is already structured in the modern society to sort of recognize that so that's why everybody is viewed equally under the law one person can't commit a crime and get away with it and the other person does it and it's not considered a crime right you treat everybody equally that's what it's always been about so by simply doing that you completely eliminate the need for any of this intersectional nonsense all it does is it makes things it it just makes things more complicated it makes things worse it doesn't it doesn't add anything positive there are certain ideas and ideologies that i think are purely destructive they add something you know negative they make people behave worse they make people think in worse ways they make people treat each other worse but they don't add anything positive so as far as i'm concerned intersectionality you know the cult of it identity politics to the degree that people are pushing it and all that kind of stuff i'm like look this is, as far as i'm concerned these are just destructive forces right they're they're forcing people to racialize things they're forcing people to view things through a lens that they normally would not and which people had previously already overcome and so as far as i'm concerned it's like a shift backwards people have made all this progress and it's like oh okay cool we finally got to a stage where people aren't Judging each other based on their skin color, or judging people totally differently based on if they're male or female, or if they're gay or straight, or whatever. And then you're now, you, you've taken all those steps forward, and now the so called progressives want to take a few steps backwards now and no, go back. Oh, no, no, no. You need to make sure you recognize people's race. You need to make sure you recognize people's gender. You need to make sure you recognize people's sexuality. And as far as I'm concerned, it's just backwards to me. I think it's hilarious that it's called progressivism. Cause I think so many aspects of it are just totally backwards. So that is why I personally am deeply critical of it in terms of victim mentality and mindset. It's a waste of time. Um, it, it's just nonsense. Again, there's nothing positive that comes of that. If you live in the modern Western world, then I can almost guarantee that nobody is oppressing you and you're not going to be held back based on any immutable characteristics provided that you work hard and you offer something to the world. Um, and it's that simple. And as soon as people recognize that they can act accordingly and stop pointing fingers outwardly and look at how they can improve themselves, uh, maximize their own potential physically, mentally, spiritually, relationally, everything, and they can just get on with life and stop complaining and start making things better.
0: Well, and one thing about that as well, you brought up a lot of great things there, but a lot of people try to fight the power, right? That's kind of the big things. Like, we're going to take the power back. You know, we're going to speak truth to power, whatever the thing is. It's always kind of this power dynamic. But one thing that I've seen and that, you know, has confused me since I was a little kid is one of the ways that I've seen the black community fight the power was to, as they would say, reclaim the N-word. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that is something that's the world that you live in, being in the hip hop world. That is about as common as the word. "the." And so when you when you listen to somebody that says that just with common vernacular vernacular in their everyday language and their everyday conversations, but especially within their art as well. Mm-hmm. Um, is that something that, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Because, I mean, I've listened to your music. I don't hear you use that word. And no. that might be a word that you use. But, you know, why don't you use it? Do you think people should use it? Go
1: most most black people around the world. Don't use that word, right? It's, it's not even a, it's not a black thing. It's probably a black American thing specifically, which is somewhat filtered perhaps to black people in the UK and a couple other countries as well. If you go to Africa, nobody uses that word. And that's, okay. where, that's where almost all the black people are, like right? nobody in Africa or even in the Caribbean, I think would use, would use that word. Very few of them. And those who would, it's because they've been influenced by American hip hop and stuff. Um, I don't use the word because again, it's, it's just a force of destruction. It's the only and it's it's again, it doesn't add anything positive It's the only word where it's literally one of the only I think it's the only word that I can think of where its meaning is supposed to be based on the person who is saying it and who they're saying it to, which is totally ridiculous. Having words that it's like, oh, it's okay if I say it or it's terrible if someone else says it. It's just dumb. It's just stupid. It's a really dumb idea. And you know i can't control the language that other people choose to use all i can do is control my own language um but again why why would I, there's so many other words that i can use to describe a a, fel- a fellow black person or just a fellow person in general that why would i want to use a term that's so steeped in a history of you know, you'll, you'll have someone come in here and say, Oh, it depends on if you ended in an a or an ER. I'm like, no, it's all stupid. In a British accent, they sound exactly the same anyway. Um, (laughs) (laughs) they sound exact, they sound exactly the same in in an English accent. So, um, yeah, I just, I don't use it. I don't perpetuate it. You know, I don't, um, I don't want to add to that fire because I think it's dumb. I really, really think it's stupid. And some people are going to say, Oh, I'm on some high horse here or whatever. And I'm just like, look, if you're gonna keep on using this word, you you're you're keeping it alive. And you can't then be shocked and surprised when somebody who is not black, maybe a kid or I mean, I've been to Eastern Europe, I've been to Central Europe, countries like Poland and Slovakia and Serbia and whatever. And I've had um I've had I've had, you know, young dudes over there like call me that word, not even realizing that it has any negative connotation. And why would they? If you live in Serbia where there's no black people, and your only influence, you your only thing you've heard is from what you've heard on movies and TV and in music. How on earth would would that guy know that that word has any kind of connotations, or that he's not supposed to say it? And I wouldn't even be able to explain it to him if I'm if I tell him that oh, you know, that's not actually a, a word you should you should say to somebody. He'd be like, well, you know, why do the rappers use it all the time? And my honest answer is, I don't know, man. I don't know either. Right. And, you know, you can't blame him. It's not coming from a place of, of hatred or malice or anything. He's actually trying to be endearing what he says. It. And right. Yeah. Something I've experienced in real life. And most people don't really travel. So they don't see this kind of stuff. Um, and so that's when it really hits me that, you know, this is just, this is just dumb. You're just perpetuating this. And then it's extremely hypocritical to be using that word a hundred times a day. And then when someone who's, you know, who, who's the wrong person says it, all of a sudden you're, you're extremely offended and everyone's got different rules and some people be offended and some people aren't. And I'm just like, look, the simple thing is just not to, not to use it. It's, it's unnecessary. Um, again, it's, it's just, yeah, I think it's dumb in terms of, in terms of why people use it. I know people say it's, oh, it's a term of endearment or they want to, they want to capture it back or they want to have, I just think it's, I think it's dumb. I think the honest thing is that people like to have something that they can say and they can use and, they've kind of got this power to use the term you were saying earlier to not allow other people to use it. So it's like, okay, we've got this one thing that we can say it, we can pepper it around. We can spray it around in the music and the comedy and just general everyday language. But then we've got something to sort of use as a, a cudgel against other people. If they dare say it, even if they're just repeating the song that I wrote, it's dumb is uh, my uh, summary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, well, I, I definitely dumb stuff.
0: Yeah. Hey, that, that's a good, good way to live your life. And I really appreciate, <laughs> you really appreciate your perspective on that. Well, one thing about you as well, that if anybody knows you is, is that you're in really, really good shape. I mean, you show it off on the, on the cover of all your albums. So let's just be real. You're walking around, you're walking around those tank tops, man. You're making us feel small over here. But at the same time, like y- you actually take this seriously. You're not just a gym bro. You're not just throwing weights around. You're not, you're not doing that kind of stuff. You, you actually have a regimen that you follow. And so much so that you actually publish a book called Strong Advice, Zuby's Guide to Fitness for everybody. You can definitely pick that up on Zuby's website. I'm going to put the uh, link down in the show notes so you guys can check that out. But the thing that I was kind of astonished by is how similar your lifting approach and my lifting approach is because a lot of times I feel like my lifting approach is too simple Mm -hmm. because I I do deadlift and I do pull-ups and I do bench and I do front and back squat and then I do a few other things here and there and then I pretty much do cardio and jujitsu. And you're very similar to that in that you don't do a lot of the, okay, I'm going to confuse my muscles today and I'm going to do this. Kind of push up, and then I'm going to do this kind of weird CrossFitty type thing. Mm -hmm. So, how did you kind of come to your approach being very, very basic but very, very strong lifts?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I've been training since I was 15 or 16. So, I've I've been lifting for man over half my life now, which is which is kind of nuts. So, I started out like most people, just going to the gym and messing around with the different machines and trying everything, and sort of, you know not knowing what I was doing, not having any structure and not having much guidance. And over the course of many, many years, both in terms of my training approach and my nutrition approach, I've really learned what matters and what doesn't matter. And when it comes to training, for example, the key thing to focus on is progressive overload. If you're trying to get stronger, if you're trying to get bigger muscles, it all comes down to trying to push yourself a little bit harder than what you are What you've previously done and what you're currently capable of and in terms of the exercise selection there are certain exercises that get you a lot more bang for your buck than others you talked about the exercises that uh you prioritize and those are all compound movements for someone who's listening that means that you are targeting incorporating different muscle groups um and also joints in each of those exercises so deadlifts pull-ups um rows squats uh bench press Overhead press, all those exercises, you're using multiple muscle groups rather than something like a bicep curl, which is only training your biceps and perhaps a tiny bit of your forearms as well. So I try to do, um, I'm a big fan of the Pareto principle in general. I like to think, I like to try to streamline everything I do in terms of the Pareto principle and just think, okay, what 20% of things will get me 80% of the results? And that's something that you can apply both to training and to diet as well, which I've learned over time. So I try to spend 80% of my time training if I'm in a fully equipped gym doing um, the big exercises, those ones you mentioned. So you can build an incredible physique just off of a you know tiny, tiny handful of exercises. There's a reason to do extra, you know, just in terms of variety and not getting bored. Or if you have certain body parts that are lagging, for example, I'm not going to tell someone not to do bicep curls if, you know, they've got small biceps and they really want to work on that. There's nothing wrong with doing them. But, um, if you're only going to, if you have limited time in the gym, like most people do, you've only got 45 minutes, you've only got an hour. It doesn't make sense to spend all that time just doing these isolation exercises. That's not what's going to get you the best results. So, um, with me, uh, my focus, I'm a, you know, totally nat- natural athlete. I've never used any performance enhancing drugs or anything like that. And, um, I don't, I don't plan to. And for someone who is like that, what makes most sense is to train every muscle group multiple times per week and to incorporate various muscle groups in each exercise and each training session. So that is what I generally advocate.
0: And that's that's a great thing for a lot of our listeners to kind of get into is that you think if you've been training for a long time, that maybe there's another holy grail on the other side of the hill, on the hill that, you know, oh, this is going to be the new thing that I do. And I'm going to find this workout regimen, and that's going to fix everything. A lot of it's about just being dedicated. And the reason why people deadlift is like why really really strong people deadlift and do pull-ups and do overhead press and do bench press is because those are those are key ingredients to having a strong body and people that you mm-hmm. know have trouble like elderly people have trouble getting off the toilet at, at their elder ages just cuz they don't have hip and quad strength right and so it's like if you have yeah. a squat regiment that you follow throughout your entire life that's fine and i think a lot of people are concerned about getting getting hurt and things like that but it, you've said this before it's just you know if you have too much weight on the bar you're probably going to hurt yourself It's not the exercise that's hurting you. It's your bad form. And it's you trying to do something that is way beyond you, not barely beyond you, but way, way, way beyond Mm -hmm. you. So if you haven't lifted in your entire life, don't put 315 up on the squat rack and try to get under it. Like that's just not going to be a good day for you. But again, your ability to be physically resilient is something we talk about a lot here on this podcast. That's your ability to bounce back physically. Well, the thing about being in shape is if you never have to get into shape, That's good for you. It's going to put you ahead of where most people are because, you know, in Joe even mentioned this on a recent podcast, it's just like, well, trying to get into shape in your fifties is going to be really, really difficult. But if you stay in shape for the entirety of your life, regardless of your age, if you get injured or you have to take some time off or whatever those types of things, your body will bounce back and respond. And that's the whole thing about physical resilience. So guys, if you're uh, not familiar with how to do a lot of these exercises, or if you don't have kind of an idea of how you should train, I would highly, highly recommend that you pick up the book Strong Advice. And again, uh, that will be in the show notes as well. But as we close up our interview here, Zuby, um, I want to do kind of a lightning round with you here a little bit, right? So um, I follow you on Twitter. Obviously. Obviously, you have some very, very great tweets, but some of your tweets lack a little bit of context. <laughs> I can draw some, some of my own conclusions from the context, but I wanted you to just like real quick for each of these. I pulled five of your uh, tweets just here in the last week or two, and I just want you to give me a little bit more context as to what you were thinking when you tweeted it. So you ready to go? Let's do it. All right. So September 23rd, you tweeted this. Disagreeing with somebody does not mean you hate them. Most toddlers can understand this, but there are millions of grown adults who don't seem to. So give mm. me some more context.
1: Wow. Well, we're certainly living in a time where we're living in an age of disagreement, especially online. Real world's not as bad, but, you know, it happens there, too, where people ascribe bad motives or hatred to anybody who disagrees with them on anything or, or they ascribe stupidity. Right. They think, oh, well, if. If I'm if I don't believe in God and you do, that's just because you're stupid or because you lack some piece of information. Um, or if I believe X and if I'm a liberal and you're a conservative, it's because you you um, I hate poor people or you're, you're racist or you're evil or something like that. And it's a really firstly, it's just false. And it's, it's a really dumb base level uh, trying to, you know, it's just it's just a really unintelligent way to view the world to, to, to put it simply and, it, and it's simply false so i was saying that because i literally do think most children can understand that if they disagree with each other it's not because it's not because they hate each other but um you're constantly seeing especially online people who think that everyone who disagrees with them is just um is just evil or that it's because they hate them and that's simply not the case so that's what i was trying to say
0: Well, see, I know I'm putting you in a little bit of pinch with all these gigantic topics and you have to give me short answers, but you're doing a great job so far. So let's get into the next one. So September 29th, it's interesting how people put up Beto, Warren and Bernie signs and stickers publicly and wear their merchandise with no fear of repercussion. But most Trump supporters wouldn't do the same for fear of assault, abuse or property damage. Says a lot about tolerance.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, there's always been this idea that people on the left wing of the political spectrum are... More tolerant and kind and compassionate than people on the, you know, right wing of it, which is false in my personal opinion. And my, you no, know, I think there's a, I think there's a lot of evidence to, uh, to, to back that up. Although I don't know how these things are measured. Um, I think in terms of being able to tolerate other people's views, in terms of what tolerance is actually supposed to mean, right? Which is, you know, being able to agree to disagree. Um, I do generally find that more conservative people are a lot more tolerant in that regard. And that, that was sort of making that point, right? I have, I've got a lot of followers who, you know, do, do like Trump and the amount of messages I was going, you know, people were saying some of them had, had their cars keyed. Some of them had, uh, you know, had things had signs stolen or, you know, risked being assaulted and stuff like that. And, you know, you've got lots of videos online of people getting assaulted for wearing Trump hats and things like that. So I was just saying, like, doesn't this make the point exactly? September 30th,
0: unpopular opinion. Women wield more societal power and influence than men do in the West.
1: Mm -hmm. They do. Um, So a lot of times people jump straight to thinking that power has everything to do with um, who earns the most money. Um, And that's only one dynamic of it. I mean, why do men even want to earn money in the first place? It's normally to, you know. When it boils down to it, it's normally something to do with seeking or keeping the attention of a mate. I'm I'm sure if, you know, you isolated men in a vacuum away from women, then um a lot of that competitive drive, which leads men to pursue a lot of the things they do would would um would disappear. And also I think that men's behavior is largely dependent on women's behavior and what women decide to permit. I think, you know, women sort of hold the locks in society and decide where to put those locks. And, you know, men try to change their sets of keys to, to open those locks wherever they are. So if so, yeah, it's a, it, that that's one that would take a lot of time to, to really go into. But that's a surface level.
0: Very, very true. Another one from September 30th. It feels like California is run by man and the entertainment industry and Texas is run by God and the fast food industry views from a first time visitor to both states. So try to answer that one and give them a little bit more context without getting Texans mad at you because
1: you are still in the great state of Texas. I am in the great state of Texas. Yeah. Um, well, just dry, driving around both states. I mean, I spent most of my time in California in two big cities, L.A. and San Francisco. Um, but yeah, certainly in L.A., but also San Francisco. I just kind of I didn't feel much. I didn't feel the presence of God there much. This I know this sounds weird. This sounds kind of like a little bit little bit hokey and abstract, but, um, I just didn't really see or feel like there was much presence of God. I felt like those cities are kind of a result of just, okay, when, 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 when man and when when humans just kind of take over and want to run things and try to create their own rules and what, and everything like that, then I just kind of felt, I don't know, it's, uh, it's, it's really hard to explain. Cause it's not really like, uh, This is a very feeling thing. It's not, it's not a totally rational thing. Um, in terms of the entertainment industry, that's obvious, you know, you've got Hollywood, you've got billboards everywhere, all advertising, new TV shows and comedy specials and things like that. That's just everywhere. Whereas in Texas, everything's like advertising food. Um, but also in Texas, driving around Texas, being in Texas, I've seen a lot more. Um, I've seen a bunch of pro-life billboards. For example, I've seen advertisements. I've seen a lot more actual physical churches, I've seen you know just people with stuff mentioning God or Jesus on the back of their pickup trucks and stuff like that. So um, yeah, that's uh, that was just an observation of kind of what it felt like.
0: Well, I can confirm that feeling that you have. I used to live in Manhattan and, and not Manhattan, Kansas, Manhattan, New York, and I kind of felt the same way. You would run into a Christian in a city of millions and millions of people. It's like, oh my gosh, I found the other one, right? You know, <laughs> it just kind of have that that mindset. But all right, man, last question of the day. This was a tweet from October the first. I judge people based on how they feel about Jordan Peterson and Kanye West.
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, it's true. Um, yeah. Well, I just think th- those two guys are, are really, 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 really different, but they are people who I think are, um, man, how would I, how would I even describe them? I just think they're both sort of uh, legends and th- legends in their own, in their own regard and in their own ways. And if someone dislikes both of them, then I think it's because they have bad energy. I've never come across anybody who I like, who dislikes both of them. So, <laughs> and, and I like most people. So if someone is, if someone can't appreciate either of those people, then um yeah, I think they've got some stuff that they need to sort out. They need to go clean their rooms.
0: And according to the first track here, your new album, you are the Jordan Peterson of rap. So that's kind of how that goes. But man, we have, we have gone on to a lot of, a different subject matters. And we've gone all over the place. I know that the guys listening to this really, really appreciate it, but is there anything else that you want to get off your chest? Anything else you want to let the listeners
1: know? No, that's it, man. Just, uh, live well, fulfill your potential. And, um, let's all make the world a better place by starting with ourselves. If you want to check me out online, you can follow me at Zuby music, Z-U-B-Y music on all social media.
0: And guys, I'm going to have all of that stuff in the show notes for you. So it's easy for you to get to Zuby again. Thanks so much for being on, on daunted life, a man's podcast. You're welcome. So there you go, guys. I really hope that you enjoyed the podcast today. Uh, You know, those last two interviews, they were fun for me. They were fun for the guys on the other end. And so I've kind of created a little bit of an internal list of some guys that I would like to get on this podcast. Um, The thing about it is I want the guys that I bring on this podcast to be interesting to you. Okay. I don't want to just bring somebody, oh, here's my buddy who uh, lives around the corner. (laughs) He's a good dude. Like, I don't want to do interviews like that because I feel like some podcasts, you know, they'll get Jocko Willink and then like the next 17 episodes are people that aren't that interesting and that you don't know and I've never heard of, so I got a few, but you know, this is going to be a podcast that we're going to kind of feel where it goes. So we're going to maybe have some interviews here and there. We'll do Q&A just like we have been doing. But guys, if, if you know of anyone that you think would be interesting to our audience, right? So think of yourself. Think of someone that you would like to hear from or someone that you would like to have their message spread out. Shoot me an email or send me a DM on Instagram or something like that, and we'll see what we can do to get him on. All right, guys, thanks so much. for. we get out of here, though, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. As you know, by now, we are a men's ministry, and our mission is cultivating manly resilience. Specifically, we do that by providing content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. So for you today, I'm going to give you all the resources that Zuby and I talked about. So the big one is I just have his website. So ZubyMusic.com, ZubyMusic.com. That is his website that's going to be able to connect you to just about everything that he has his hands in. But then I also have the original Twitter post where he broke the British women's deadlift record. So you'll have that video there. I've got the uh, main link to his Twitter and his Instagram page. And I also included the interview he did with Joe Rogan in the interview that he did with Ben Shapiro, because they covered some topics that we didn't in this one. So I thought it'd be interesting for you guys to have that. Guys, thanks so much. As always, we really do appreciate you listening to the podcast. If you would, please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or Google Play, and refer your friends to listen and share this on social media. Guys, if we deserve a five-star review, that is how this podcast is going to continue to grow. So please leave us five stars in a few sentences, letting us know why you like the content. I'm currently booking speaking engagements for the remainder of 2019 and the beginning of 2020. So if you want me to come speak on your podcast, to your team, to your men's event, at your council, whatever, hit me up, info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. The website is www.undaunted.life. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Undaunted Life or Facebook.com backslash Undaunted Life. Check out our free devotionals on the YouVersion Bible app. Just search Undaunted Life under plans. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their entire music library for our content. The intro or outro track on this podcast is their song King of Sorrow, which is off their latest record entitled Phantom Anthem. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep cultivating manly resilience. Keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. Keep seeking the Lion of Judah.